Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here with me on my journey. We're going to continue to hear my story, my abuse story, and some of my life story. Hopefully, you're enjoying it so far. This time, we're going to talk about my parents' divorce and some of my high school years. But first, I'd like to give a shout out to Jen Wood, one of my longtime buddies from grade school that I mentioned last time. She was in the band when we were in grade school. And we just connected again after a long while apart. So thanks so much for listening, Jen. And she is going to be in my story coming up. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, how's your week been? How's your mental health these days? We have to do these checks now and again. I will definitely say that when the pandemic first started, I was totally fine with it. I didn't have any problem with working from home. I have plenty of things to do at home to keep me busy. And we both had jobs. Uh, and we thought it was going to be temporary, but now that it's still going on here in 2021, it doesn't look like there's going to be any end in sight. And things definitely changed when Brian got sick. That definitely takes things up a notch as far as not being okay with being inside all the time and being, um forced to stay home a lot. So Brian got sick and then Brian got worse as far as health is concerned. He, and I appreciate everybody's prayers. Thank you so much for those that have asked how he was doing. We are still a month later trying to get the disability that he's paid into for for a long time, it comes out of his check as part of his benefits at work. And just going back and forth with the doctors and the insurance company, I'm really grateful that we are out of debt and we just have our utilities in the house to worry about, but that kind of takes the stress up to a higher notch. I'm sure you have been there trying to make ends meet get the best value for your dollar. I totally am right there with you with single moms, single dads, retirees. We do what we have to do, right? But I have a lot on my plate. <laughs> so it's a lot of juggling. <laughs> so yeah, you can continue to pray for us. I know that the Lord will provide, he always does. He will continue to provide for us. So thanks for praying. Thanks for being there with us and supporting us. 
whatever way you feel led to do. So with that being said, we're going to start with my journey, my high school years. So I started high school away from my grade school classmates. All of them went to a different high school except me and Audra. So all I had for friends was thankfully my best friend. My parents moved up into the country or up into the mountains. We were half an hour from what we would call civilization. <laughs> there was probably a general store down at the end of the street, which pretty much was a tourist trap. And yes, they had a little convenience store, but it was kind of like paying, you know, a fortune for a gallon of milk or eggs or anything like that. And we were a half an hour from any gas station, so you really had better plan on your trips to town. Anyway, so we had to change high school. I didn't get to go to the high school that everybody else went to. We went to one on the other side of town. I guess it was a new start since no one really knew me, but I still had my Kmart clothes. <laughs> and everyone still had designer clothes in high school. I think it was even worse in high school. You know, we went and did our Kmart layaway just like we always did. And my first day of school, I thought my clothes were pretty nice. I, I liked them. But everybody wore guest jeans and Levi's and same song and dance from grade school. Now, Christmas came along and my mom loves Christmas. She always has. And she put all of our Christmas gifts on layaway so we could afford to have some sort of a Christmas. And the only thing I wanted was a pair of guest jeans. And I was a really big brat about it. And that's all I talked about for this guest jeans. <laughs> and I, I think I wanted some high heel shoes because everybody was apparently wearing high heel shoes. We opened all of our presents Christmas Day and I did get some really nice things, but I did not see the jeans. And so I complained <laughs> and I had an attitude. <laughs> Uh, so all the presents were all over the place and wrapping paper and we were all enjoying our presents and having breakfast. And what I didn't know was that my mom had hidden the jeans in the trash bag behind the chair in the living room. And my dad gave me a hard time. He said, you know, your mother worked really hard to get you Christmas presents for you kids. And, you know, you're complaining that you didn't get what you wanted. And my mother brought out the trash bag from behind the chair. And inside were the guest jeans. And yeah, I was, I felt really bad that I complained. But on the other hand, I was so happy to get those jeans because that meant that I was going to be 
one of the popular kids. I wasn't going to get picked on for wearing Kmart clothes. And I wore those jeans every day. <laughs> now, where I come from, you can wear jeans more than once. At least that's how it was in my family. Unless you got them really dirty, you know, you could wear them again the next day. Well, I wore them every day. And of course, the stuck-up, snotty high school kids would be snickering and laughing and pointing at me. You wore that yesterday. Yeah, so? Well, they were insinuating that I was too poor to afford, you know, five pairs of jeans that I could wear one each day. But, you know, that's the rich kids. I also remember having a pair of Michael Jackson pants. They were, le well, they weren't real leather pants. They were those polyurethane, I think, plastic pants. They were the rage when I was in high school. I had a Michael Jackson shirt and a poster and these leather pants. And it's a wonder I didn't get beat up again. I know, keep telling me this. <laughs> I know you're screaming through your phone or your computer over there, your earphones. But Michael Jackson was the greatest thing ever. And I told stories last time about Michael Jackson. And we couldn't go to his concert, but I got the clothes. So now my parents divorced during my sophomore year. I won't tell too much about their part of the story because I don't really have their permission. But you'll just hear my perspective of what I experienced. I guess my parents had their share of problems, but we didn't know the specifics. There wasn't a whole lot of fighting in front of us. Uh, they would fight in their bedroom or when we were asleep. So to make it short, my dad had an affair and asked for a divorce. So my parents had one of their fights in the living room and my sister and I we had rooms right next to each other and we heard them fighting at the living room and we were just laying outside of our door talking to each other about what was going on in the living room right away my sister and I seemed to be on different sides upon the realization that our parents were going to divorce now, I didn't really get along with my mom that much at the time. I mean, I was a typical teenager. My sister and my mom got along better, I guess, because of the age difference. But my sister blamed my dad for the divorce. And I can see how she could blame dad for the divorce. That's the perspective that she had. But as I'm older... You know, I know and realize that you don't have an affair for no reason whatsoever. There were problems that existed in the marriage that were not dealt with or resolved. And that is part of divorce. And it was really hard as a teenager 
because I got along with my dad. And so I went to live with him because of that. So my sister and my brothers went to live with my mother. And I was considered a traitor because I went with my dad and my soon-to-be stepmom. My dad and I were close. That's the only reason that I went with him. Now, I made it very clear to my dad that going to live with him didn't mean that I agreed with what he did, that I believed that having an affair was right. I didn't. He had the affair right in front of us kids. He didn't try to hide it very much, but my mother didn't know. My siblings were younger and didn't understand that the reasons for divorce are not simple, nor are they cut and dry. Some things can't be fixed. So all of my siblings except my youngest sibling have been divorced more than once. <laughs> anyway, I moved in with dad near my high school until the end of the school year. I didn't have many friends who were divorced in those days. Anyway, I pretty much had a normal teenage life. I dated and went to dances. I was very involved in the choir, of course, and in dance class. I was in school plays. Our school had a very anti-drug theme. Just say no to drugs, right? That was the 80s. So I was not really interested in alcohol or drugs. I saw what they did to other people. I met my first serious boyfriend in high school. He looked like Eric Estrada. <laughs> and he hung out with my lunch group. He was really smart and in all of the advanced placement classes in the chess tournaments. And he was one of those that dressed up to go to school. He wore a, a dress shirt and dress pants, dress shoes, and he drove a BMW. <laughs> well, it was his parents' BMW, but. But before I tell you more about him in our relationship, I had another huge event that happened in high school. If you remember when I got saved, my parents took my Bible away and wouldn't let me go anywhere except for the Catholic Church. So up to this point, I was alone in my faith. That isn't until I met Brenda. I had studied French since the eighth grade. And I continued through high school. In French class, we had secret pals. And I was Brenda's secret pal for Christmas. So I just got her a little bear inside of a Chinese takeout box. So during the reveal, she got up in front of the class and she said how much she loved her gift. Now, let me tell you about Brenda. She glowed. And have you ever met anybody like that? She carried around this huge coffee table sized Bible around with her at school. 
and I went to a public school now, so back then you could get away with that. <laughs> so I knew right away that she was a Christian. I ask myself that every day. Do I exude Christ? I walked up to her after class and introduced myself, and I told her about my decision for Christ and that I needed a Bible. So she gave me hers, and it was a living Bible, paraphrase. <laughs> and she would sneak me off to youth group at her church. All the other kids were out doing crazy teenager stuff, doing drugs, getting pregnant, you know, graffitiing the town, whatever. I was sneaking off to church. It was the first time that I had met other Christians that were my age. And so I just devoured my Bible. I hid the Bible from my mother in my closet. And Brenda and I lost touch after I graduated high school, but I am ever so grateful for her testimony and mentoring me those days. So at that time, I had a renewed relationship with the Lord, and I'm on fire and all. So back to my high school boyfriend, my dad decided to move in with my now stepmother and step-siblings. So that meant moving across town and going to another high school. Now, I really loved my school, and this was pretty distressing. I was talking with my boyfriend at lunch. Well, he wasn't my boyfriend just yet. We weren't dating as of yet. But I would walk home from school. I was a mile from school to my dad's apartment. And he would pass me on the street with his BMW. I would just wave for for the longest time when he drove by, but he decided to pull over and give me rides. I was pretty excited about that because I really liked him and was pretty thrilled to be in a BMW. <laughs> and on my last day before moving, he gave me a ride. He wanted to keep touch with me at my new school. So he was standing there with me in my apartment complex parking lot, and he gave me a hug goodbye after I'd given him my phone number. Now I had been smitten with him for a while, so I didn't really know how he felt about me or he felt if he felt the same way. And this was of course before email and social media. All we had was letters in phone calls, and I started my new school in the middle of the year. Again. <laughs> I don't remember if calling across town was considered long distance. I think it was a toll call, I'm not sure. I knew calling actual downtown was considered a toll call. Anyway, my new school was different. I didn't know anybody, nobody, but they had a really great dance program and of course they had a great choir. 
And this was the first time that I had gotten straight A's. The teachers were excellent. You could retake the test if you got less than like 90%, they would have you take the test over again. They really wanted you to learn the material rather than just pass. And I had discovered that I had some Christian teachers and found some Christian friends at the school. My science teacher was a Christian. We were actually studying the Big Bang Theory. And when I found out that she was a Christian and she had, we had Christian meetup groups after school. And I asked her how she could be a Christian and believe in evolution. So she kind of held to the, I guess, to the theory that God started creation and that there was evolution along the way. And I had a couple new Christian friends that would have lunch with me. Now my soon-to-be boyfriend visited me with another friend of mine who was my my dance partner in dance class. And we definitely decided that we were going to date and that he was interested in me as well as as much as I was interested in him uh, because we kissed goodbye. And my dad was watching out the window as, he, as uh, we were kissing by his car. And we went out on dates, like to the movies and stuff. And my dad gave us a curfew of nine o'clock. Now in Arizona, it's not even dark at nine o'clock in the summer anyway. <laughs> Sun doesn't even go down yet. I remember one time we were 15 minutes late and dad grounded me because we lost track of time and I went to my boyfriend's prom because he was still going to my old high school and I wanted to see all of my old friends and my mother worked at a costume place so I had my prom gown custom designed by her co-worker and the dress was inspired by the dress in Labyrinth one of my favorite movies you may have seen it, the one with David Bowie, and it's that scene where she's wearing the ball gown. So prom was very fun, and we were getting very close, me and my boyfriend, but I was getting closer to the Lord at the same time, which was going to come to a crash soon. I knew it was going to be a collision eventually because... I found out he was an atheist. From the grapevine of my friends, I think he still is to this day an atheist. That's the way he was raised. His mother and father were atheists. And we would have these conversations about God. He said that there was too much suffering in the world for there to be a God. And if God was good, that he would let him into heaven. Now, I didn't really understand that reasoning. If you don't believe in him, why would you want to go to heaven where he is? He didn't want anything to do with him. So he would make fun of me and those who believe in Jesus. And I would criticize him. Well, if you want the benefits of going to heaven, but you don't want, you don't want to be a Christian, 
doesn't work that way. You wouldn't enjoy being around Christians for eternity. You wouldn't enjoy being with Jesus for eternity. But he would go to Catholic Church with me. And once I got into line to get communion, and if you're not familiar with communion, again, it's the Catholics believe that the body, the actual body of Christ is in that communion wafer. And it is very sacred to the Catholics if you take the communion wafer. Well, the Roman Catholics take communion very seriously. So I walked up there, got my wafer, and I went back to my seat where he was supposed to be waiting for me. But he was not there. I did not realize that he had followed behind me and took communion. I looked behind me, and there he was, smirking at me, chewing on the wafer. And I said, did you change your mind about Jesus and God? He said, no. Him taking communion was basically him mocking my beliefs at the time, blending in. I asked my Catholic youth group leader about the sacrilege, and he said that I couldn't do anything about it or stop him. I had asked the priest there if I was allowed to date him, and he didn't seem to think it was an issue, as long as we were getting along. But he did say not to have kids. Push came to shove on my faith because we started talking about taking the relationship to the next level. When I got saved, I decided not to have sex until I got married. I had one serious boyfriend before him that I was physically involved with, and I had a couple casual ones. So I told my now boyfriend that I wasn't going to have sex because it was against my faith now, and he challenged that. I said that I would lose my salvation now, at that time, I, I thought that I would lose my salvation if I were to have sex before marriage again after becoming a Christian. But he had a real problem with that. He said, what kind of a God would throw you into hell for choosing to have sex? I mean, we love each other. I care about you. And we're going to get married someday. And we went back and forth. We were talking on the phone late at night, back and forth. And I was digging in my Bible to see what the Bible actually said about eternal security and what we call fornication. And yes, I was looking for an excuse to be able to have a physical relationship without being punished for doing so. It is what it is. I admit that. And yeah, I definitely believe that we have eternal security as a believer once we truly decide to follow the Lord and we are Christians that we are eternally saved, regardless of what we what sins we commit. That doesn't mean that we don't repent of our sins when we are aware of them. But yes, I 
did find Bible verses that said that once we are saved, that we are always saved. Our salvation is based on our belief and not what we do. So I did tell my boyfriend that, yes, God's not going to throw me into hell if we choose to have sex. He was pretty happy about that, obviously. <laughs> so we did make plans to spend the night together. I think it was either homecoming or junior prom. I don't remember. We rented a hotel room. So yeah, I was actually doing teenager stuff behind my parents' back, just like every other teenager. <laughs> so now I'm going against my conscience. Even though I knew that I wouldn't lose my salvation, we did have a loving relationship. It was probably the first person that I loved and bonded to emotionally. But there was that one problem with him being an atheist. So it wasn't that he was an agnostic, searching for God and not knowing if there is a God or had questions. He was adamantly opposed to the very idea of God. Even if he lost me, he could not, would not believe in God. And it came down to that in the end. I was feeling guilty about having sex. And then my Christian friends found out that I was dating a non-believer. They said, you know, Diana, you can't marry him. You're unequally yoked. And of course, they were opening their Bibles and showing me the verses. And they told me I had to break up with him. Now, my senior year was coming up and I wanted to graduate from my old high school because my friends were there instead of graduating from my new high school. So I made the choice to go back and live with my mom who lived across town near my old school. Crazy, I know, yes. So I was really happy to be back at my old school senior year. I still participated in dance and choir and my boyfriend had graduated the year before, so he was not there. Now I decided to make the painful decision to break up with him. He picked me up from school and I broke the news during the time we were sitting in the park having a picnic, I believe. And I told him, we have to break up. And of course he was like, why? Well, because you are not a Christian. And of course he would say, but we love each other. I don't understand. And he was crying his eyes out and he was so devastated. I'd pretty much pulled the rug out from under him, but I guess he thought that we were eventually going to end up together. And he begged and pleaded with me to stay. So I brought up again him believing in God. So why are you so stubborn? Why don't you just believe? He said he couldn't do it. Even if he wanted to, he could not do it, even if it meant losing me. 
And it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life because I cared about him. I wished I had all of the fancy apologetic answers and responses to give to him why he should believe in God, but I can't make somebody believe. They have to choose for themselves. And he kept wanting to get back together during the next year. It wasn't going to work though. I was dating other people casually, but I was still pretty attached to him. I still loved him, but I knew we couldn't be together. I was really trying to obey the Lord and live an authentic Christian life. So at that time, I had to really rely on God a lot for strength during that time. I uh, graduated from high school, and right after that, I got a job at Taco Bell, just like all good 18-year-olds do. <laughs> and right after that, we got a heat wave, a record 122 degrees. And um, the AC went out at my mom's house. <laughs> it was a blown fuse, I think. So we went a week without air conditioning. We did have a swimming pool, but it was green and the water was probably 100 degrees. So we didn't get any relief from that. You sat in front of the fan with spray bottles and that's all you could do. So I had to walk to work uh, to Taco Bell. That was a mile away. And so in 122 degree heat, I had my ice water and I had my hat and I walked to work and thank God they had air conditioning, but I had worked the drive-thru. <laughs> so every time I opened that window, it was like whoosh, big old blast of oven heat. So my uncle finally came and fixed the air conditioner because the landlord was not really returning my mom's calls that we didn't have any air conditioning in the middle of a heat wave. So that's a fun fact for you. <laughs> now, I'm sure that you want to hear about my first car. There's not a good story about high school without a story about your first car. Well, I was working at Taco Bell and one of my team leads was selling his car and it was one of those big old boat Lincoln cars with the big hood and the ornament in the front and the big, huge seats, the big, huge trunk. He was only, I think he was only asking three or $400 for it. And I had been saving up my money working at Taco Bell to save up for a car, but I didn't have 500, which it probably would have been more money to work with. But he went into salesman mode and showed all the features of the car. And I'll have to say that I actually got the car because one, I was almost 18 years old and I didn't have a car yet. And my boyfriend was driving me around town most of the time or my mom, or I was walking 
and really wanted a car. And it had this really great stereo. He had put the stereo in the car with the tape deck and it had really nice speakers. He put new speakers in and I, I have to be honest, that was probably the selling feature because of course I loved my music. I wanted to play the tunes in the car. And so I shelled out the money for the car. And so now I did not have to walk to work anymore. I could drive the car. And little did I know that the dumb thing did not have a working gas gauge. And it didn't find out until I ran out of gas. <laughs> I was out with my boyfriend at the time and driving around town and I, we ran out of gas. Well, we didn't know it. We thought there was something else wrong with this car. And so I had a couple other friends, some guy friends that, you know, tinkered with cars, but nobody knew how to really fix anything. And they like, okay, well, let's change the alternator. Let's change the battery. And so we put money into changing the, the battery and the alternator and placing the spark plugs, trying to get this thing to start. Now the meter said that it was a quarter tank full. So we never thought that it was that I was out of gas. And I think one of us decided, hey, let's go put some gas in it and see if maybe there's something wrong with the carburetor, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm not very knowledgeable about cars. So we put gas in the car and it started. So I was kind of upset that uh, my coworker did not tell me about that stupid gas gauge. I've run out of gas in that car over the years, probably three or four times because yes, there was, you know, the, the uh, odometer on there and you could count, okay, how many gallons, you know, can you get per mile? And you keep track of your mileage. And somehow I was always off on the mileage and I wound up running out of gas or you know you're going to run out of gas any second and you're just praying to get to the gas station before you run out and I definitely remember I was at the top of a hill going down the hill and at the bottom of the hill was a stoplight and then there was a gas station on the other side of that stoplight and I remember that that car ran out of gas at the top of the hill and I coasted down that hill, ran through the red light and hoped to God that I wasn't gonna hit anybody. And I coasted into that gas station. I'll never forget that. And that was probably one of the worst times I ran out of gas, but I made it. Yeah, I ran out of gas when I, I was taking my brother to ball practice or I've definitely ran out of gas when I went to church more than once. So that car was a thorn in my side. Yes, I had wheels and I could zoom on around and have some freedom there, but that was definitely not an ideal first car, especially if you don't like to do math. So anyway, 
It also had film on the windows tent. It was one of those do-it-yourself tent films. I didn't do that. It came that way. But you were not allowed to have window tent on the car. It was not legal. Also, they had inspections, car inspections. And so, yeah, I had a car and it worked and it got from point A to point B. But I had to submit the car to inspections every year in order to get my uh, registration. And then Arizona does not have parallel parking unless you're downtown. And I did not know how to parallel park. And so learn how to parallel park. And when I got to my aunt's house, they lived on a one-way street. And so anybody behind you would have to wait for you to park. There's cars on each side. You'd have to go up and look for a spot before you could parallel park. If you couldn't find a spot, you'd have to go around the block. Well, this is how I learned how to parallel park, and it was not the ideal in a parking lot with cones like everybody else. So, so again, it's this big, huge banana boat of a car, and I can't see over the steering wheel. I'm I'm five six, okay. <laughs> And uh, I probably could have put a phone book under my butt and that would have helped. But yeah, the whole neighborhood came out to help me learn how to parallel park. And that's embarrassing. So, you know, of course I'm backing up and they're turning, everybody's yelling, turn the, turn the wheel to the right. Then I'll go and I'll turn the wheel to the left and back up some more. Now pull forward, now pull backwards. No, you have to do it over again. You're not close enough to the curb because that's the other thing. If you're not, oh, I think it's six inches from the curb, then you, you'll get a ticket because it's a one-way street and they will, they will ticket you for it if you're like sticking out. And yeah, it was a nightmare. It was embarrassing. And then the inspection, I, I couldn't pass the inspection. And so I had to get new brakes. I had to get Apparently my horn wasn't loud enough. I had to get a louder horn installed. And I think my shocks were like really crummy. But, you know, I still had a car. I put a lot of money into that stupid car. So, yeah, that's the story of my first car. Now my mom decided to move back east where our family is from. In fact, where my cousins are from. I guess to get more family support. I kept having issues with my boyfriend wanting to get back together with me. And I realized that I would have probably caved in and married him if I didn't separate from him, if I didn't go with my mom back east. So I decided that's what I was going to do. And I didn't tell him till probably a week before we left. And I told him that I had to move back east with my mom to get away from him. And he was really mad that I said that. I'm pretty offended. You know, I don't blame him. I probably would have been offended too. And he cried and he begged as we packed up the truck and I said my final goodbyes. And we backed out of the driveway and started the long road back to my aunt and uncle's house. So yeah, we 
going to be staying at my aunt and my uncle's house, um, who are Christians. But that breakup was pretty traumatic on a drive. I had my Sony Walkman and my mixtape and sat in the passenger side of the car and so my mom drove and I cried a lot to be honest with you. When we got to my aunt's house she assured me that there were plenty of good Christian men to meet at their church. And see I turned 18 and now I was able to go to whatever church I wanted to. My mother could not stop me, but she made it pretty clear that she didn't like it. So that ends the chapter of my high school years. The next part of my life was getting baptized and getting called to be a missionary and my new relationship with God and preparing to go to college. So that's what I'll be talking about on our next time together. I hope that you are enjoying my story, my crazy story, <laughs> for whatever it's worth. It is an honest and transparent part of my story. Yes, I'm going to be vulnerable and transparent with you because that's how you help people you inspire others to maybe make choices and decisions in their life that they're going through those crossroads right now. Maybe you're one of them. Can you relate to any of what I've said today? Anything I've shared? Drop me a line, okay? I'd love to hear from you. What did you think? So we're going to have some music right before we finish our episode today. As promised, I'm trying to get more music on the podcast for you. So this song is a live recording of a coffee shop that I sang in with Tree Hill Collective with Mark Snyder. He's the author of this song. He's playing the guitar and we're singing a song called I Choose to Praise You. It's a very catchy tune and you'll probably have it stuck in your head for a few hours, but I really like the song and I hope that you do too. So enjoy the song. I choose to praise you. This one's called I Choose to Praise You. Um, this is just written about kind of the current times and how even though we don't know what's going to happen and sometimes it feels like we stand on the edge of a cliff as society. We need to make a choice to praise God anyway. Um, it's written from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, where it says, Let the result of your trials be praise, um, which is kind of a mind-blowing thought, really, that we, 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 our praise results, or our trials result in praising God.
see you next week. Until then, you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.